0: The night before leaving Cleveland, I had a dream that I was Abdul Ha's guest, that I sat at a long table, and many others were there too, and how he walked up and down telling stories, emphasizing with his hands. This later was fulfilled, and he looked just as I saw him in my dream. He was at Greenacre, Maine, and when I heard the rumor that he might not come west, I was immediately determined to go and see him. As my finances were low, I out of necessity hobbled my way to Greenacre. The Nickel Plate Railway was my choice, for convenience to Buffalo, New York. From Buffalo, I again rolled the rails to Boston, a long ride from around midnight until nine the next morning. The Boston and Maine Railway was the last link between Abdu'l and the outside world. So, when I crawled off the top of one of its passenger trains in New Hampshire, I was exceedingly happy. A boat ride, a streetcar ride, and there I was, at the double time. I stepped onto the soil of that to be famous center, tired, dirty, and wondering, but happy. people there were taken back by my appearance. I was covered head to toe in soot. With only my blue eyes staring out from my gray face, I held in my hand a letter of introduction from Mr. Hall to Mr. Lunt. And in searching for him, I met Miss Kinney, who dear soul was kind enough to offer me a bed. She woke me the next morning at six o'clock, saying I'd have to hurry if I'd wish to see Abdu'l-Bahá. Arriving at the hotel, I found quite a number of people there on the same mission to see him. Being one of the last arrivals, I was looking around to make myself comfortable. When someone exclaimed, here he comes, now. Ahmed Sorab did the introducing and interpreting. When Ahmed introduced me to him, to my astonishment, he looked at me and only said, Ugh, not offering to shake hands with me. Coming as I had and feeling as I did, I was very much embarrassed. After greeting several others and went about to go to his room, he suddenly turned to me and said in a guff voice, at least I thought so. Sit down and pointed to a chair. I meekly obeyed. Feeling rebellious over what had happened, such a welcome after making that difficult trip, my mind was sure in a whirl. It seemed but a minute until Ahmed came down and said, Abduha wishes to see Mr. Mortensen." Why, I nearly wilted. I wasn't ready. I hadn't expected to be called until the very last thing. I had to go and it was a strange feeling in my heart and wondering, wondering what would happen next. He welcomed me with a smile and a warm hand clasp, telling me to be seated. He's sitting before me. His first words were, welcome, welcome. You are very welcome. Then, are you happy? Which was repeated three times. I thought, why do you ask me that so many times? Of course I am happy. Didn't I tell you so the first time? He asked, Where did you come from? From Minneapolis. Do you know Mr. Hall? Yes, I said. He told me about the cause. Then he asked, Did you have a pleasant journey? Of all the questions I wished to avoid, this was the one. I dropped my gaze to the floor, and again he put the question. I lifted my eyes to his, and his were as two black sparkling jewels which seemed to look into my very depths. I wondered what Ahmad thought. I answered, I did not come as people generally do who come to see you. How did you come? He asked, riding under and on top of railway trains. Explain how. Now, as I looked into the eyes of Abdu'l-Bahá, I saw they had changed and a wondrous light seemed to pour out. It was the light of love and I felt relieved and very much happier. I explained to him how I rode on the trains, after which he kissed both my cheeks, gave me much fruit, and kissed the dirty hat I wore, which had become soiled on my trip to see him. When he was ready to leave Greenacre, I stood nearby to say goodbye, and to my astonishment, he ordered me to get into the automobile with him. After a week with him in Massachusetts, I left for home with never-to-be-forgotten memories of a wonderful event, the meeting of God's covenant. You're listening to the Journey West Podcast, dedicated to following the travels of Abdu'l-Bahá in the West.
1: Welcome to the podcast. This week's feature was the story of Fred Mortensen. Before his journey to the Master took place, Fred was, in his words, determined to be tough as any. After a failed attempt to rob a train in 1904, Fred was introduced to the faith by a defense lawyer, Albert Hall. Mr. Hall gave him Baha'i books to read during his time in jail, which had a profound impact on him. However, before his sentence was served, Fred escaped and spent four years on the run. He eventually returned to Minneapolis and contacted Mr. Hall. The words of the master still intrigued him, and when he learned that Abdu'l-Baha may not come to the West, he decided that he would go to Greenacre. This story reminds us that no matter what an individual's outward appearance may be, or what their past may imply about them, these individuals, just like any other soul, have the capacity to recognize the truth. Absolutely. We really have no idea the capacity of others, and to make the judgment that one person may appreciate the faith more than another is something we all struggle with. One potential cause for this struggle is related to materialism. Let's now move to a talk by Abdu'l-Bahá on this subject, read by Rizwan.
2: 17th of August, 1912. Talk at Greenacre. The physical beauty of this place is very wonderful. We hope that a spiritual charm may surround and halo it. Then its beauty will be perfect. There is a spiritual atmosphere manifest here, particularly at sunset. In cities like New York, the people are submerged in the sea of materialism. Their sensibilities are attuned to material forces, their perceptions purely physical. The animal energies predominate in their activities. All their thoughts are directed to material things. Day and night they are devoted to the attractions of this world without aspiration beyond the life that is vanishing and mortal. In schools and temples of learning, knowledge of the sciences acquired is based upon material observations only. There is no realization of divinity in their methods and conclusions. All have reference to the world of matter. They are not interested in attaining knowledge of the mysteries of God or understanding the secrets. Of the heavenly kingdom. What they acquire is based altogether upon visible and tangible evidences. Beyond these evidences, they are without susceptibilities. They have no idea of the world of inner significances and are utterly out of touch with God, considering this an indication of reasonable attitude and philosophical judgment, where they are self-sufficient and proud. As a matter of fact, this supposed excellence is possessed in its superlative degree by the animals. The animals are without knowledge of God. So to speak, they are deniers of divinity and understand nothing of the kingdom and its heavenly mysteries. As deniers of the kingdom, they are utterly ignorant of spiritual things and uninformed of the supernatural world. Therefore if it be a perfection and virtue to be without knowledge of God and His Kingdom, the animals have attained the highest degree of excellence and proficiency. Then the donkey is the greatest scientist, and the cow an accomplished naturalist, for they have obtained what they know without schooling and years of laborious study in colleges, trusting implicitly to the evidence of the senses, and relying solely upon intuitive virtues. The cow, for instance, is a lover of the visible and a believer in the tangible, contented and happy when pasture is plenty, perfectly serene, a blissful exponent of the transcendental school of philosophy. Such is the status of the material philosophers who glory in sharing the condition of the cow, imagining themselves in a lofty station, reflect upon their ignorance and blindness. Nay, rather, The virtue of man is this, that he can investigate the ideals of the kingdom and attain knowledge which is denied the animal in its limitation. The station of man is this, that he has the power to attain those ideals and thereby differentiate and consciously distinguish himself an infinite degree above the kingdoms of existence below him. The station of man is great, very great, God has created man after his own image and likeness. He has endowed him with a mighty power which is capable of discovering the mysteries of phenomena. Through its use, man is able to arrive at ideal conclusions instead of being restricted to the mere plane of sense impressions. As he possesses sense endowment in common with the animals, it is evident that he is distinguished above them by his conscious power of penetrating abstract realities. He acquires divine wisdom. He searches out the mysteries of creation. He witnesses the radiance of omnipotence. He attains the second birth. That is to say, he is born out of the material world, just as he is born of the mother. He attains to everlasting life. He draws nearer to God. His heart is replete with the love of God. This is the foundation of the world of humanity. This is the image and likeness of God. This is the reality of man. Otherwise, he is an animal. Verily, God has created the animal in the image and likeness of man. For though man outwardly is human, yet in nature he possesses animal tendencies. You must endeavor to understand the mysteries of God, attain the ideal knowledge and arrive at the station of vision acquiring directly from the Sun of Reality, and receiving a destined portion from the ancient bestowal of God.
3: Now to our roundtable discussion. Hi, my name
4: is Amelia, and I just finished studying Physiology. I'm Nabil, and I'm a student.
5: I'm Cedric, and I play music.
4: It's interesting how, like, how he starts talking about New York and like being materialistic to people that live in such a small town. Maybe it's just like wa- uh, warning them so they don't get like affected by the materialistic world in New York, which is so close to them and their lives.
5: Well, I find it remarkable that um, even though he talks about such a negative topic uh, like materialism, he manages to start it out very positive by just mentioning how beautiful the place is and how beautiful it can be in like a small town like Greenacre. And then, of course, it's been a 100 years ago. And since the talk was given, those 100 years passed. And now it's amazing to see how, like, what back then he mentioned what's happening in New York is basically all over the world. And even this virus of materialism reached every single small village in the West that I know of. And yeah, that's pretty amazing to see now. That just shows how important it is that we work even stronger than before to acknowledge those mysteries of God and to understand them so we can get away from that again.
4: I also think like how interesting he mentioned about like education and materialism. How today, like a hundred years ago, he was mentioned that in schools and colleges, people would always go to attend thinking on their future and what they would go, like what would they attain with uh, education? So they would never think about like gaining knowledge about certain subjects but they would always think in their future, okay, maybe with this I'm going to make money, I'm going to be famous. And it's important, like even nowadays, people, sometimes they choose their own courses in universities or colleges, thinking in their own benefit for the future and not for the betterment of the world.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, in the sense that God has created us in his own image. So surely we must think outside the box and not think solely about ourselves and our own selfish desires, but to think that there is something more profound as well. And it goes hand in hand, really, as in we have the physical aspect of things, but we also have a higher nature, which we have to attain to.
5: It is also interesting how he how he uses the picture. Of, of the cow and the donkey in this talk, and um, in connection with knowledge, or yeah, the worldly subjects being separated from spirituality. And we've seen it in the world before, that when people were without knowing God, when people didn't turn unto God at all, that they would do the most animalistic things, that they would be worse than any animal in the world. That they would kill each other, torture each other, and stuff. And I mean, that's one very drastic way to put it. But I mean, on the other hand, on the other hand, it's um, just the same thing, only on a different basis, and it has just an equal negative impact on the world, only that it's not maybe as painful in a physical sense or as obvious in a physical sense.
4: And he also mentioned that the cow, like. It's easier to get happy and content and but being a materialistic person, the person never reach the happiness state of life. The person always wants more and more. And they never they're never happy with what they have. They always want like I mentioned before, like they always want more and they never reach the state of happiness. And he compares that state of happiness with the cow, so do
3: you think that they have a reasonable attitude and philosophical judgment, these people that only look at the materialism side of things. And they also they become very proud as Abdul Baha puts it. So maybe this is one thing to think about. Why why are they so proud even though they are very insufficient in what they have and they always try and aim for more?
5: Like that that we should just um basically raise our consciousness up and not like live the life of animals anymore and that we have the power of investigating those knowledge not this knowledge yeah
3: so i suppose we could say that we have the capacity so even though we have our animalistic nature but we also have the capacity to go beyond this and explore something which animals cannot explore and that is to see what the sort of there's a reality above just the materialistic reality that we have. And that's, you know,
5: that may be one way to put it. Getting an attitude of service towards humanity, then um, those materialistic thoughts and all the problems that come with it will vanish naturally.
4: I also find really interesting this line that he comments about. He says, he acquires divine wisdom. He searches out of the mysteries of creation. He witnesses the radiance of omnipotence. He attains the second birth. This is to say, he is born out of the material world, just as he is born of the mother. He attains to everlasting life. He draws nearer to God. His heart is replete with
5: the love of God. At times in my life, when I am unhappy, it's normally because I'm I really kind of like drift away from from the spiritual aspect of my life and the second birth could could like be a picture for like that there's always a new start or there's always a second chance that that we kind of like find back to to what is really important in this life and kind of like get back to happiness and maybe at one point we don't need those second births anymore and are just uh, happy ever after you know but like there's always the chance and also when he mentions, like, uh, his heart is replete with
4: the love of God. So if you keep that in mind and having the material world in mind as well, like, what does the material world come to us? Like, uh, competition, someone trying to be better than others. And if we do everything with the love of God, if we always keep the love of God in our hearts, we wouldn't think like a, material person, a materialistic person thinks.
5: brings a lot forth the idea of how, like, that egotism in In how that egotism and material development for ourselves kind of like cuts off like stops our progress or slows it down because like if we would um achieve knowledge with the thought of service, if we would acquire knowledge to to um share it to bring humanity um forth in its um being but um then then the progress would be way faster than if we do it for money and we hold information back just so others wouldn't know it and stuff like that.
3: This is true from my background of working a lot with scientists. You see that in this day and age, there is a lot of this um, secrecy going on almost. And you can see that if there wasn't so much hidden and people realize that they're doing this for the love of God and to help humanity as well. How much more would science be able to advance through this means?
4: Through my studies in journalism, one thing that I've learned by studying about media was how the media influences people in this materialistic world, how they how they influence people just to get more stuff. And whenever something new come out, even though the person maybe sometimes they don't even need that, they will keep in their mind that... That's what they need. So I think it's interesting to people keep in mind how the media have this influence on on society.
5: Yeah, and also in connection with music, it's, it's just the same thing, like how everything that is um, kind of like bringing in a lot of money for those materialistic concerns in this world, it's like all music with no content or only content that the cow would please, you know? Like, there's no deep meaning to it anymore. No deeper meaning than whatever lower nature tells us is good. I mean, the the major goal of that subject or of that profession is is to make people happy. It's sad to see how nowadays people satisfy and create fun in in the music and film and journalism business. business, But they don't try to create joy at all anymore.
3: So it's quite obvious to me at least that we can see that we're not only physical um, human beings but that we have this higher nature to us this spiritual aspect that we have to attain to in order to be able to help the fellow men around us otherwise what's the point of having everything around us and all these materialistic needs if we're never going to be satisfied with what we have and in fact, it just causes more disunity at times when you just want to go ahead and, for example, as I mentioned, purchase something that you don't need or chase something which you don't actually want. So then we can conclude that it's very important to always be aware and conscious of this higher nature that we have in life.
1: That's it for our podcast this week. If you'd like more information about Abdu'l-Bahá's travels in the West, visit our site, www.thejourneywest.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Journey West. Thanks, everyone. Bye.